Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Alex Stewart. Good morning, Joe. And Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe. Hello. Now, this podcast is in two parts. Part numero due is uh, the Sensible Transfers, where we discuss uh, a number of interesting and exciting players, uh, their, their current situations, stroke predicaments, and where they could end up, or where we think that, where that would be fun for them to end up, if that makes sense. Hey, that bit's nice. And part one's also nice, uh, in which Seb speaks to James Horncastle of The Athletic about Pirlo's Juventus and the season so far, um, and Italian tax law, which isn't as boring as it sounds. So that's exciting for us. Uh, but before we get started with all of that, there's a thing I've got to tell you about. Hey, hey, I'm evangelizing about it. It's uh, it's this cool... It's a, I found a website, Seb. Did you? Tell me about it, please. Football. You're going to read about it. You can... Mm, there's some listening. And uh, there's... Tell you what, it doesn't matter what team you support because there's always a person for you. And also other sports. That's The Athletic. So if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO... You can get everything I've just talked about and more, actually a lot more, for £1 per week. It's a good thing. So, Alex? Yeah. Exactly. And that, that, that's all for now. And I will leave you in the cool hands and the very warm embrace of Mr. James Horncastle. self-assessment time so nobody run away when I say this but we're going to talk about income tax income tax in Italy and how it affects Italian footballers and foreign players moving to Serie A and to do that we've got James Hallcastle with us hello James hello Seb so let's start right at the beginning and when you explain this pretend that you're talking to like a, a child with you know bad math um <laughs> If I'm a foreign player and I'm moving to Serie A, what are the what are the financial incentives at the time that we're recording this? What what is uh, I, I understand that there's kind of um, there's an appetite for change in these laws, but what has been the incentive previously? Well, I suppose if you are being taxed the highest bracket in whatever country you're playing in, uh, the incentive of, of of going to Italy, I suppose, is that you'd go from being taxed at forty five percent to around. 25 percent um so yeah that's that's a major advantage uh, italian clubs have had in the market um it's one of the reasons i mean if you listen to the president of la liga javier tirbas um yeah he he believes that it's kind of chipped away at some of the competitiveness of spanish clubs in the market and the symbol of that is is cristiano ronaldo moving from uh, real madrid to juventus um, but I, I suppose the original intention of, of this law, it's called the growth decree. 
but it has another name, which is to kind of bring back the brain, sort of put an end to the brain drain um, that Italy experienced over the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, anyone who lives in London, New York, um, Berlin, they will hear Italian voices. Um, they will work with Italians um, because so many of them uh, have left and not seeing opportunity for themselves. And um, that's why, you know, uh, other players, you know, Italian players who've applied their trade abroad, Italian coaches have applied their trade abroad. Um, um, if they come back, they can also benefit um, from these from these tax breaks. I understand it from a, a footballing perspective and as a measure to kind of to in- increase the pe- competitiveness and allure of a domestic league. Makes perfect sense. Is it not a really difficult sell to the general public? It is, um, but you've also got a football crazy public um, in Italy. Um, certainly, supporters of, of, of top clubs yearn for the days of, of Serie A uh, as it was in the kind of eighties and nineties when it was the main place to be. I mean, Serie A doesn't call itself the best league in the world, like certain people who broadcast uh, Premier League games too um, <laughs> but they do they do call it il campionato più bello del mondo the most beautiful league in the world and that yeah that was really kind of the tagline for it um, in the period I was I was talking about and there are a range of efforts to try and get Serie A um, back to that um, you know, I think we had a we had an interview on the on the site with the president of Serie A Paolo Dalpino about sort of going to private equity and seeking kind of outside um, experience and advice on how to grow the league. And a lot of that's just catch-up growth, um, doing some of the very simple things that the Premier League has done to market itself and and make sure that it is seen all over the world. Um, And I I suppose this is another element of it. But as I said, initially it wasn't brought in um, specifically to favour uh, football. It was to it was to bring all kinds of people from all kinds of different walks of life, um, be it um, you know, sort of bankers, entrepreneurs, creatives, um, back to Italy. And um, you know, as, as as football, you know, given football's place within the entertainment industry, um, you know, it, it 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 kind of marries up quite well. But I would say at the moment, in terms to return to your question about its popularity. The main criticism and complaint has actually come from the revenue itself um, in, in Italy. In that, you know, we are we are missing out on so much uh, potential revenue that that could then obviously be um, directed in government spending, which you know, as we've seen across the world, um, governments are having to to go into the public pocket more than ever. So this has sowed some seeds of panic uh, within within Serie A over the last month as, as the revenue has kind of aired these these grievances um yeah because as, as, as city eyes was already in a difficult financial position that was one of the motivations for going to 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 private equity in the first place but since then stadiums are empty it looks for at the moment we have no timeline on on when crowds will be back in stadia in terms of sponsorship and merchandise, obviously those contra- contracts uh, almost have to be revised for a COVID environment because they're not sponsors are not getting the same exposure. So to to all of a sudden then find that your payroll, which is already over sixty percent of, of of what revenue you were making to begin with, in, in, when times were good, 
for that to potentially get even bigger at this time is, is obviously uh, a reason why there's beads of sweat forming on the uh, on the brows of many city our presidents at least they uh, at least they sidestep the media pro landmine um, because obviously like yes. one of the um, the preludes to what's happened in France is that a uh, similar deal was nearly struck with Serie A but with um, with media pro but uh, unlike the um, Unlike League A, uh, Serie A were wise enough to check whether MediaPro could actually afford to fund the deal. What what has been the um, what's been the reaction to that in Italy? The the sort of the, the goings on in France. Well, there's an element of uh, we told you so, um, but you know, as you mentioned, Serie A got so far down the line um, with with MediaPro that um, they're in court um, at, the, at the moment, um, basically because it looked like that deal was practically done. And uh, said, yeah, I pulled out last minute. Um, and all of a sudden you had Sky, um, you know, as, as is the case in Germany and England being, you know, the principal broadcaster, satellite, um, TV rights holder and DAZN coming into the market um, there to kind of take uh, to replace um, what Media Pro would have done. Um, but I think in some respects, the situation hasn't, all, all it did was maintain the status quo, I would say. Um, in Italy, and that's not satisfactory, because um, yeah, I would say ten years ago, um, Serie A was had the most lucrative domestic television rights after the Premier League, um, and since then that has declined. Um, it's 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 slipped and slipped um, to the point that I think La Liga uh, went ahead. The Bundesliga has done a better job of, of getting more more value out of domestic TV rights, and certainly has has kind of stepped up abroad as well. Um, and again, this this TV situation is, is one of the uh, motivating factors behind engaging private equity. And potentially, I mean, this this keeps being talk, talked about, the league, um, you know, exploring, going away from the traditional broadcast model and uh, setting up its own channel um, and, and maybe uh, that channel to be sold with direct access all over the world, as you see with, uh, for example, the NBA and and, and, and the NFL, um, where you can get Game Pass or League Pass and and watch City A that way. So I think uh, in some respects, yes, I, and I told you so, kind of, we were right to, to get out rather than uh, do a deal with... Um, with Media Pro, but at the same time, yeah, they they still they are still hoping for a better broadcast situation. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned dedicated channels there. I've watched quite a few other sports which which have those, which you know, provide uh, streaming opportunities, digital season tickets. Basically, uh, the NRL is a good example. The NFL, the NBA. Isn't it strange how football and football's public seems so resistant to that? I know we're heading off in a little bit of a speculative direction, but it just it's <laughs> it seems it's it's strange. It's very, very hard to to explain why that is. I think so. Um also for a league to do it as a whole, you know, as we've seen with the Premier League, um when it's been impacted by by the pandemic and fans not being able to to get to games to watch their teams, is there really an appetite uh to watch a um I don't know. I'd say a City A equivalent, Crotone against Spezia. Um, you know how many how many people are going to pay for that, um, subscribe for that. Um, I think it's still one of the reasons why you see the top clubs in Italy really invest in uh, what they call their media houses, 
um, which essentially specific companies set up to make the most of their content, broadcast it in whatever form uh, they see fit, be it social, be it um, be it TV. Um, you know, Juventus, for example, have really tried to push in this direction since signing Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, you know, they really see the value of, uh, I'd say, broadcasting socially. Um, you know, at the moment there, they've launched on Twitch, which, to be fair, I was completely unaware of what Twitch was until... Um, I saw that they were trying to start their own kind of show. Yeah, I still don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, you know, see, I, I tried to grow familiar with it over the past fortnight, but um, again, trying to, to to position themselves and, and position their content in places where um, new generations are are lurking online uh, or on their on, on their tablets, and and so I, I think actually in some respects. Teams like Juventus, Inter, and and Roma are very. I don't want to say they're they're ahead of Premier League clubs in this regard, but they really see they're, they're really they're really aware they're really conscious of kind of getting into they're they're always talking about Generation X, Generation Z in a way that you know maybe we kind of roll our eyes when we hear it uh, mentioned on a kind of Manchester United quarterly call, but th- that seems to be the driving focus and whether you can you can marry that up with what a league as a whole wants to do in terms of the product they want to offer um as a as, as a kind of one package um i don't know we'll we'll have to see um you know at the moment the league has approved um this the, the sale of a stake in a media company to private equity and we'll have to see what what plans um these these private equity firms have to um to give us new ways of consuming Syria content, I suppose. That media approach, especially on social media, it reminds me of uh, the way Dortmund used to behave right at the beginning of the last decade. It was as if when, when I when I see the kind of the output of clubs like Roma, it just seems like they were the ones paying attention to how you engage a kind of a, a younger audience and how you actually manipulate that space. Well, not manipulate, but you you take advantage of that space to your benefit. It, it's 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 really interesting to see who does and who doesn't follow that trend. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and it, it, I remember I think Juventus are moving more in this direction now. But for a time, there was a feeling that a club of of their history and tradition could not take the same approach that Roma taking, which was very kind of left field, off the wall. Yeah. Um, they were very creative. Um, you know, they didn't seem to let uh, what people thought Roma were hold them back. And, and and that allowed them, I think, to reach new people, new audiences, and kind of become known. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a running joke that the only thing kind of Roma win are social media awards. <laughs> but uh, they are known for that, and it kind of, it kind of brings... Um, people to uh, Roma content, Roma results, Roma players in a way that that um, yeah, just an ordinary approach um, would not. Um, and I, I, you know, I think in some respect, Dortmund, yes, they have one of the biggest stadiums in Europe. You know, they have uh, some of the biggest gates in Europe. Obviously, they've they've done a really good job of, of becoming the go-to place for the best young players um, in the world. And I think that. In, in itself has a ripple effect. It has a, a multiplier effect in terms of its, the club's appeal. But um, I would say it's, uh, aside from being the Champions League winner, it, it feels like they have a dip, disproportionately large um, place in our 
collective consciousness of what who the great powers of football is uh, football are in in over the last decade um which i think they've they've just done a really good job of of, of branding themselves and marketing themselves and capitalizing on what on what they had to to make themselves popular and, and i think that's something that uh, a lot of clubs have uh, are seeking to learn from although i do lament a lot of bundesliga kind of social media um banter uh, oh god yes 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 yeah. <laughs> i think there's a difference between that and, and 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 the kind of actual the more concentrated drive or, or strategic approach that some of some of the clubs we've been talking about well there's applied. a dividing line between uh dortmund to me dortmund dortmund's popularity is at least in part due to the fact in this country at least that they, they kind of they occupy that they present themselves in a way which is very attractive to english fans because they're kind of they're sort of the they have this binary relationship with a lot of major Premier League clubs because they have the the atmosphere, they have the the vibrance within their ground, they have the the kind of the sensible player trading model, and it. it's it, it just it appeals naturally. It's become the kind of they're, they're the uh, the stick with which a lot of Premier League clubs get beaten. Um, but yeah, I'd yeah. I'd, um, I'd agree with you on on the kind of the the banter end of that spectrum. Let's finish with Juventus because Andrea Pirlo comes in over the summer and or you know late summer i guess and it makes perfect sense because of what had happened with Maurizio Sarri and possibly because of the age profile of that side and because of his standing in the game but maybe it's slightly tougher gig than assumed and that's kind of borne out in the sort of the opening couple of months of the season what's been um firstly what was the expectation when he arrived rookie head coach having to learn on the job what was um what was expected this season it's difficult at Juventus because they don't do transition years. At least that's that's the posturing uh, that they put out. You have to win. Uh, I think that's uh, more difficult um, than it has been uh, really since 2015, I would say. I mean, I, I think the problem with, you know, kind of casual observers of Juventus is, is, is to think that they, they have always had absolute power. They've always been this dominant from, you know, 2011 to the present day when... In actual fact, it, it hasn't been that way. No one expected them to win the league title under Conte. They had back-to-back seven-place finishes. The first year of Agnelli's administration didn't go well. They sacked Gigi Del Neri. Um, and it's only w- really with the breakthrough that Allegri made into, into Europe, where they were getting to Champions League finals, that they were able to you know, sort of take the money from that and their own player trading model and, and establish themselves as... It's really yeah difficult to to get close to, and um, you know only Sarri more um, recently was, was was able to do that. Um, I think they are though in transition, even though they won't admit it. Uh, they have been for, for for two years since Allegri the t- uh, got fired, even though it was kind of a very amicable sacking. Um, uh, they have declined, um, and, and when you say worse with Juventus, it is entirely relative it just means winning the league by fewer points <laughs> uh going out the champions league earlier but um i think they've been bold and ambitious in that, that, that they want to to play a style of football which uh has greater appeal um to to modern fans i think they're very aware of that i mean we've just talked about um you know how they're positioning themselves online i think all of these things are joined up um and uh, how do you do that with, you know, initially what was was an old defence? You know, how do you, you know, how do you tell Leonardo Bonucci and Giorgio Chiellini, who are very willing listeners and willing learners, that everything that they've been doing for the last you know, twenty years, um, you know, they could maybe do differently. You know, instead of 
enjoying defending in their own penalty area and playing man to man we're going to play a high line and we're going to play zone and we want you to 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 play more out of the back and you know if Benucci's always done that so if they're man marking him someone else have to do it is Chiellini comfortable doing that so I think you know we, we've seen them continue to go on that transi- transition rather than go back to what worked for them in the past under Conte and their Allegri. So Sarri to Pirlo, there's, there's some continuity there in the ideas that they have. And it's clear that Pirlo, even though he is a rookie, has a very clear idea of how he wants this team to play. You know, he hasn't gone from one match week to another, changing his system, um, you know, sort of being dissatisfied with with uh, their shape um, on the pitch. You know, they've pretty much played the same way from match day one to where we are now, uh, match day 17. And, you know, while it feels like this could be the end of an era at Juventus in that, you know, they've won the league title nine years in a row. Uh, They desperately want to win a 10th in a row. They want that kind of fulfillment. They want it to have that kind of, um, uh, that round number uh, effect to it. you know, I, I think it, it's also not far off from being the start of something as well, because yeah, as Andrea Agnelli said after their elimination in the Champions League at the hands of Lyon, uh, which was a big shock um, in August. Yeah, he kept hearing down at his local bar, and bar in Italy means your coffee house, not your uh, your okay. pub. Um, yeah, that this this team is old; that it needs rejuvenating. I think again, people look at Buffon, they look at Chiellini. They look at Bonucci, they look at Ronaldo, and they see guys who are old. Uh, when in reality, for two or three years now, they've tried um, to bring through young players. And they have got a very young starting 11, I would say, which is, again, skewed by the, the, the presence on the squad of, of, of those veterans. You know, be it Delict, um, Demiral, be it Chiesa, be it uh, Bentancur, Rabio, Artur. Um, you know, up front, yeah, Morata is, is, is considerably younger than Manzukic and, and Ronaldo, even though he's 28. Yeah, there's there's the core there's a core of a team there which is 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 you know, anything between 21 and 27. So uh, I think what's fascinating, really, though, is is uh, you know, can you play a collective pressing style when you have the number one individual in world football on your team? You know, that's that's one of the difficult difficulties things that the round holes that they have to square um and can and and for the first time Juventus have built kind of three teams I would say this last decade whilst they've been winning and one one after the other has been seamless and that's because the first two in particular had the same foundations the same defense you know Buffon Chiellini Bonucci it was Barzagli and this is the first time where they're they're having to transition away from that defense you know they it's 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 gone from BBC to Chesney, who still doesn't get enough credit in my in my opinion, um, to Delict, um, Demiral, um, and and these others. So I, I think that's one of the reasons why you're you're seeing more vulnerability to Juventus um, than than uh, we've we've come accustomed to. Brilliant, James. That's fascinating. Well, we, we've got to let you go, but we'll um, we'll have you back on in a couple of months, and we can we can catch up with Juve and see where they are with their um, maybe growing pains. But thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay. Hey, thanks, James Horncastle. What a nice guy. Am I right? Am I right? Super nice guy. I'm right. Uh, hey, we're going to talk about sensible transfers now. Before we do, though, I've remembered uh, uh, Uncle Damien's gift to us, the, the trivia. Let's do a couple of trivia things quickly. Uh, question. Uh, this one can be for Alex. Wayne Rooney played under-15s cricket for England. True or false? Certainly plausible. I'm going to say false, though. Yes, it is false. Well done. Thank you. Uh, Seb, here's one for you. In which country was cyclist Bradley Wiggins born? Was it England, Scotland or Belgium? I feel like that's a trick question. I'm going to say Belgium. Uh, it is a trick question. It is Belgium. Ha. Uh, one more. You can both, you know, who, let's see who answers this first. <laughs> Five clues about this thing or person. Uh, one, I describe my ethnic makeup as Cablinasian. No takers. Two, in my early life, I was described as a child prodigy. No takers. Three, my first name is Eldrick. No takers. Four, I have won 15 majors, including five masters. Tiger Woods. There we go. Seb wins. Okay. That's the end of that game. What was fun, wasn't it? Sensible transfers now. There's a, there's a number of names on our list. Um, I would like to begin somewhere exciting and sparkly and bright in Paul Pogba. Um, because, listen, we're recording this before the weekend, by the way, so it's very possible that uh, something good or bad or something nothing has happened with Paul Pogba in the game against Liverpool. We have no idea what the outcome of that is, but we can say to this point that recently, or at least since the turn of the new year, since December, Paul Pogba has performed pretty well for Manchester United and uh, turned in some of the, the better performances of his recent time there, which is getting people excited, of course, because they are currently, as we record this, top of the league um, and, uh, you know, having having Pogba playing well is a, is a treat that I think few people, you know, would have 100% expected before Christmas, Seb. It's very hard not to be at least a little bit cynical about it because his upturn in form coincides with his agent, Mina Riola, declaring that he'll most likely leave the club at the end of the season. But nevertheless, he's, even if this is a kind of a, a last hurrah, we are going to, looks like we're going to get six months of, of what Paul Pogba was always intended to be. And he's been great. He's been, not only has he played very well, he's started to crop up at really important moments. And that's obviously what you want from a, a sort of a, a talismanic midfielder. Um, and it'd be good because I, I think whatever you think about his form, I think the background discussion, the kind of the tedious tabloid chatter about his haircuts and all that kind of thing, and the tone of that discussion has been incredibly tedious. So it's even from a neutral's perspective, it's really nice to see him playing well. Uh, and to see him sort of uh, confound a few critics, which is which has been be an important way to to leave if if this is to be the end. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he scored the the the, the important one and only goal uh, against Burnley the, the the other day that took Manchester United top of the league. Um, Alex, presumably there are very few uh, opportunities in terms of destinations for him outside of Manchester United. A small number of clubs that could afford him, despite the fact that it's likely that his value has come down, not just as a result of the uh, of the of the uh, the well footballing economy at the moment, you know, through the pandemic, but also as a result of his his time at Manchester United. Yeah, and I'd say that's particularly the case with his last season because if you remember, we go back to um, 2018-19, he got 13 goals and nine assists. So that that's very much you know a, a peak central midfielder, still only 25 at that juncture. But last season, one goal and three assists. Um, so yeah, his, his value will have declined significantly uh, in terms of the cost of a transfer, but of course that doesn't take into account wages, uh, signing bonus, and of, of course uh, agent fee, which is which is always going to be high with um, with Pogba. So yeah. that it does it does restrict it. He's not going to go to another English club. Um, so you're looking at Paris Saint Germain, which seems like a very credible destination, particularly um, given that Pochettino's there now, and I think that probably gives a, a, a bit more credibility to that project. Uh, Real Madrid... It could really suit that Dembele role as well, right? That, that, that's where I imagine him playing under Pochettino, the sort of, uh, you know, the midfield progressor, the person who can break the press uh, carrying the ball. Yeah, and, and of course with uh, PSG, uh, you know, where their midfield is, is well-stocked is in more destructive, competitive players. Um, they do have Verratti, who's a very good progressive passer of the ball, um, but also a, a, a good defender. But I could see PSG playing a midfield three with somebody like Adressa Gay anchoring it. Verratti as a slightly deeper, um, defensively-minded progressive passer, and then Pogba is the one who bursts forward, carries the ball. Like you say, he has that ability to break a press um, through carrying, but also pinging passes around. It, it seems like a very good fit from a footballing perspective, but also obviously from from the perspective of, of Pogba returning to France. Financially, it works because PSG are kind of exempt from the other issues that France is facing in terms of football. And the, the two big Spanish clubs uh, are not as wealthy as they would have been a couple of years back. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the, the other the other thing uh, to to think about is his contract length at the moment, which um, I believe that the club uh, extended it took an option to extend it to the summer of twenty twenty two last October. So, really, to you know to recoup any any of the investment that they made on him, they're going to need to sell him in the coming summer, right, Seb? Yeah, I thought so. I, I would be surprised if if the mindset of Man United is really about recouping. I, I think at this stage, if he doesn't want to be there, uh, if he's decided between you know if, if he and Riola have decided that you know, he's definitely off this summer then I, I think the conversation becomes about sort of just getting him off the wage bill um, especially now especially with income hit uh, across across world football just because it gives Man United the kind of the the room within their um, their finances to think ahead to kind of plot the long-term future of their midfield behind um, Bruno Fernandes because that's yeah, what really they're so good at. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's what, they'll, it's what they'll hopefully be trying to get better at. I mean, eventually that has to happen just by law of averages. Um, so we'll see. But I mean, I, I don't think you're going to get a big fee for him just because of his age uh, and because of the conditions around the world. Even even PSG, you're not, you're not going to get a PSG to spend £100 million in this market. And nor is Pogba worth that anymore, really. 
Do you, know, do you know what's interesting though is um, I'm looking at transfer marks now and their market value for Paul Pogba over time. Um, at its high, it was it was at its highest in uh, 2019, um, where he was valued at 90 million pounds. You can see up until very recently, October uh, 2020, he was valued at 72 million, and there's a drop off to 58 uh, as of December. Uh, of 2020 so I wonder if that will be partly pandemic related perhaps partly form related to also perhaps you know I don't know if it's related to to the thought that he's more likely to leave once out therefore you know will be less difficult to prize away I'm not sure how, how, how does that work how do you experience a 20 million almost 20 million drop in two months presumably it is related to the economy these things are quite arbitrary um, you know ultimately a player is worth what somebody is prepared to pay for them uh, and obviously contract and surrounding circumstances um, make sense. What, what I would look at with a graph like that is less what the absolute values are and more what the relative values across time are, because I think it does, I think it's very fair to say that Pogba's value has dropped, you know, when it was at its highest point, it was, like I said, coming off the back of that season where he'd scored 13 and got nine assists in the yeah. league. Um, but I don't think you you can necessarily infer that the actual value that's ascribed to him carries a lot of weight, particularly in this current market. So in terms of uh, places he could move to then, we talked about PSG already. We've mentioned Real Madrid in the video, Alex, uh, where we discuss him sort of sitting in sitting in that Valverde role, really, don't we? Do, 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 do you see that as genuinely working? Because, I mean, it feels like the most obvious option in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, ultimately, I'd probably look to push Valverde across to the right-hand side and have Pogba on the left. Um, Casemiro is still relatively young for that team. I think he's 28, so I can see him anchoring that midfield and it, and it giving a nice blend of of passing. It, 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 I think, I think from a footballing perspective, Real Madrid and PSG are the two that make the most sense. They also happen to make sense financially, particularly PSG. Um, but with Real, there's that, that kudos. I think Real have wanted a player like Pogba for some time. Um, obviously, their last big transfer in, in Eden Hazard hasn't worked out. And although Pogba is not the player that he was by reputation two seasons ago, he's still very much uh, you know, a, a World Cup winner, somebody with uh, immense following, popularity, uh, and would suit what Real are trying to do and give a bit of a boost to a club that maybe needs some more shine than they've had in the last couple of seasons. Well, right, because you're right. I mean, he, he, his output is perhaps not the same as it was a couple of seasons ago, but I expected his age, only 27 years old, that um, that potential is still there. And I, the output the is with, contextual. You know, it's he, yeah, last season yeah. he only played 1,200 league minutes. Um, and and he's they you know they've sort of struggled to find a place for him in United. So that's it's not it's not to say that he's not going to to do well if he moves to somebody where he's more suited to that system. No, and I think sort of, you know, sidestepping entirely the conversation around how much of it is the club's fault, how much of it is is his fault. Whenever when I see a player who clearly has the ability, you know, to a, particularly to a level of Paul Pogba not performing, I just want to I just I don't care where they go. I just want to see I just want to see them at their best for at least yeah. a season or two, you know, because Paul Pogba there's no doubt in my mind could be an absolute world beater. Uh, and it just it just feels like I, I don't want him to retire uh, with the the sort of general public perception and perhaps his own perception being that he never quite lived up to other people's or his own expectations. He has that opportunity still, 27 years old. So uh, my choice for him would be wherever he's going to be best afforded the opportunity to do that. Hmm? 
It's a spectacle, isn't it? You feel if you don't get to see a player performing at the apex of his potential, you feel a little bit like you've been cheated of it. Not by the player. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not. Yeah. Not meant to be accusatory. It's just that's what football is. If you're a Manchester United fan, okay, maybe it's a little bit different. But as a neutral, you want to see the best players perform at their best. That's fairly natural. Yeah. Speaking of the best players, um, Seb, have you included Lionel Messi in today's list? I have not. I have blocked about 30 different people on Twitter. That's so <laughs> weird. Well, if you want to be blocked by Seb and you want us to talk about Lionel Messi in the Sensible Transfer series, then I would suggest that you go to Twitter and at Seb Stafford Bloor and please ask him for Messi. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that the more people that ask him, the more likely it is that he'll can, relent. Can I just add something him. here? In the, um, Absolutely in... not. Moving on to talk about Erling Haaland <laughs> now. Sorry, Erling Haaland, <laughs> Borussia Dortmund, uh, another huge player. Um, you know, with lots of lots of potential. Hey, he scores goals, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Yes, he does. Um, his release clause kicks in next year. What is his release clause? Sixty-eight million pounds. Is that all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's open season, boys. Maybe we could sign him for the Athletic. <laughs> <You never> <laughs> That feels like not very much money in comparison to what he almost certainly is worth, a gazabillion. Uh, okay, I mean, there feels like obvious places here too. We've just talked about Real Madrid. That seems like an opportunity. All of the big clubs will be interested. The one that I'm most interested in is the one that came out in, in uh, might even be today's video, Alex, uh, Manchester City. And, and a little known detail, uh, well, it might be more widely known. It was little known in my mind, i.e. I didn't know it. Uh, which didn't make the final cut of the video, is that his dad played for Man City. His dad did play for Man City. His dad was the recipient of Roy Keane's famous reducer challenge um, that is spoken about in Roy Keane's autobiography at some length and in mildly grisly detail. So there is is clearly a connection there. Does that mean he'll hate Roy Keane? (laughs) Because, you know, you sort of inherit your father's enemies, don't you? Um. I, so my father I've doesn't have any it, enemies, so my I mean, father's enemy was the corporate world and life, of course. But, okay, you know, <laughs> life is everyone's enemy. Carry yeah. on. Yeah, so there's there's a connection there, um, and his dad, you know, definitely has a significant influence on on his career. Uh, when he moved to Dortmund, there was talk about him moving to Manchester United. That didn't happen, and and I think there was. There was quite possibly some sort of, uh, you know, let's let's not do that yet. Um, and this is a player who has not had a season where he hasn't scored a goal a game or more um, since he was 17 at Mulder. Um, he's an extraordinary yeah. talent. And yeah, that's no easy feat in the Bundesliga either, is it? Well, no, and and you know the the the, the transition from RB Salzburg um, to Dortmund. It is a step up, obviously, um, but it's the kind of transition that makes sense given uh, Salzburg's playing style. Um, you know that the, there's an emphasis on pressing, there's a physicality, so it, it was a sensible jump to make. Um, and his output, yes, it's dropped off slightly, um, but not an enormous amount given given the step up in league. And of obviously that Dortmund have have had difficulties um, this season. He still managed to score twelve goals and get two assists in the league. Uh, he's an incredibly powerful striker. He he makes similar kinds of runs. He finishes a lot of his goals in the same way, where he he kind of jinks into the, the left hand side of the penalty area and then pulls a shot back across. But as we said in the video, 
just because you know what a player's going to do doesn't mean that you can stop them doing it because this combination of, of pace and uh, physical strength and the cleanness with which he strikes the ball means that he's still incredibly hard to get a handle on as a defender. Presumably there'll be a number of clubs, Seb, that would, uh, you know, I guess dependent on the footballing economy, uh, trigger his release clause, right? I mean, he's going to have options, you would have thought. You'd have thought so. I think it's going to come down to system. He's going to he's going to be in a situation where he can pretty much choose his club within reason. And he and his agent, also Mina Riola, um, yeah. you know, um, are, are just going to pick somewhere, an environment which suits his goal-scoring abilities. And that's what's really interesting because I, I think over time uh, we've we've moved on from the assumption that he's kind of a blunt object, like a big, quick destroyer, basically, um, to actually you know, a really accomplished footballer. If you look, for instance, at the goal he scored against RB Leipzig a couple of weeks ago, the, uh, the first goal he scores in that game, then you see the build-up play, you see the awareness of, of sort of smaller, shiftier players around him, you know, more skillful kind of creative types, and then the ability to go to the back post and um, thunder in a header over the, back, over the top of a defender. You're looking at mm. a kind of, you're looking at a very complete footballer, very complete forward, and also someone who theoretically can, um, as we point out in the video, play for Guardiola, play for, play in that kind of system. And I, I think you're quite right. This this sort of diversity in his game is going to mean that as and when that, that release clause comes active, and we think it's in 2022, in the summer of 2022, then you could have as many as 10 clubs going head to head for him which is incredible it could be it could be could be could actually be the most boring transfer saga of all time which is which is quite some accomplishment if you think of it but also (laughs) it's possible that it's going to encourage clubs who are particularly keen and worried that they might lose out to others next summer to bed this summer right I would have thought so. I mean, like you, you're going to get Man United or you know a club like that with that sort of desperate appeal, <laughs> thinking yeah. they might, lose, you know, if they know that there's going to be six or seven other teams in the running, all offering the same amount of money, and it's, it, the, the choice will be determined by where the player wants most to play. Then presumably you want to be, uh, you know, there'll be some clubs that want to have many, far fewer names on that list. Hey, big time. Also, it's one of the situations where did you just call me big club- time? I refer to I, I refer to your point as in a kind of big you time. You said hey big time and then you started talking. I'll, I'll take that. Come on. For for people listening like Joe 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 every now and again he tries to kind of involve new nicknames for himself in the podcast or in a sort of general conversation and you kind big of you, you 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 tried Jay Dizzle about 6 months ago that that's Jay never Dizzle. ever catching on ever. Jay drop ever. drop the drop the J hit the J JD, smack the J no, smack the big smack JD, my J up. Um, you know big Joe uh, double JD. Um, Joe Devine, yeah. all capital letters. Yeah. Not, none of these are happening. In this instance, in this instance, in this instance, like if you're an English club, you probably want to enter this auction now because you're in the privileged position of of having an enormous broadcasting contract behind you. And you know, there are some issues in English football, but you know, before the Spanish giants come back into it, before perhaps I, I don't really see him going to to Bayern Munich, but you know, maybe before they're able to enter the market again. Hey, well, your hundred million is is the equivalent to their sixty, right? Based on exactly you know, that, the, exactly that. You can afford to go above the release clause this summer. Yeah, England. I think I think the only issue with that, <laughs> and I, I I agree with everything that Seb said. I'm just going to keep going, irrespective of the silliness in the background. Um, 
You are the least tolerant person of silliness I've ever met. <laughs> so, so Borussia Dortmund have plowing on have these lots of good young players. People Joe, like make a funny noise. He's cracking a bit. Jaden Sancho, Gio Reyna. Um, That's right. Holland is the only player that they don't have a natural replacement in the squad for, or where they don't have sufficient kind of flexibility in terms of who else is there to be able to lose him. So it's it's very much in Dortmund's interests to wait until that release clause comes in, um, which is still a decent chunk of money because they haven't got a replacement lined up. Their only other natural striker in the squad is on loan from Real Madrid, Renier, and they might terminate that loan early anyway. So it's a different situation. It's like selling Sancho, yes, obviously you want to keep hold of Sancho, but they have other players that can play on that right-hand side. Um, there is no other Holland, but there's also no other striker in that squad. So it's Dortmund are going to be doing their very, very best to hold on to him. Sure. Um, and it would take yeah. it would take a much larger bid, I think, than something that's closer to the release clause if if people want to get him now. Well, like you said, also depends on Jadon Sancho, doesn't it? Because, you know, there's a couple of big players there. They're not going to let both of them go at the same time. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Who becomes the narrative of summer 2021? One thing I'd like to say about um, uh, Holland is uh, not to um, not inferring anything about his personality from this, but just based purely on his physical looks, he, he, he just has this face that constantly looks so pleased with himself. <laughs> doesn't he? And hey, if you're Holland, I'd be pleased with myself too. Uh, not to say that, that is, I'm not saying he actually is, I'm just saying his face makes him look like he is. Does anyone, is anyone with me? Yeah, he's like, he looks like a big friendly monster, doesn't he, in a way? He, he's also, he's also quite a strange guy. Like the night before, when he, when he was at RB Leipzig, uh, RB Salzburg, sorry, um, the night before he made his Champions League debut, he went on Instagram and he was, he was driving around downtown Salzburg in his car um, with the Champions League anthem playing as loudly as possible, and he was just driving around like, and it, 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 you can, it must, pr- it's probably still out there. So have a have a search for that, and it's quite, that's yes, quite endearing. I, I find that quite cute. No, it's like, I like it's just it. really, really excited, and that's that's also cool. there's like something that. about people who are infused with total, total self confidence that yeah. just wins me over, even if I think they're a complete dickhead. It just wins me over. Like, I, I, I don't know what it is about my personality, but I, I feel like, you know, I feel like I would have been susceptible to some of history's dictators for very similar reasons. Uh, but let's not go there. Um, anyway. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't leave that in. I'm not a danger on the internet, I promise. I promise. I'm a, I'm a safe and liberal man. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Alex, tell me about Diego Rossi. Diego Rossi is is an interesting player. He's Uruguayan. Um, he went straight from Panerol to MLS, uh, where he's been playing for Los Angeles FC. Peñarol. Um, uh, Panerol is like one, they're basically the yeah. biggest yeah. historical team in, in Peñarol. Pen, oh, because it's got that little Peñarol. Peñarol. Um, so he's he's a little tricky winger, great dribbler. Um, he was one of the five nominated MVPs um, for MLS's uh, twenty twenty season. Although he didn't win, that was an Alejandro Pozuela who won. Um, he's got a very good goal return. Ex Swansea City, Pozuela. I possibly. I don't know. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but he's uh, he's got a very good return for a team that kind of doesn't necessarily do that well. I think they finished seventh this this time round in their group. So, and at only twenty two, you know, he could very easily step up. Um, and move somewhere. I, I would say, from a kind of cultural perspective, um, Spain is the most likely destination for him. A, he's a, a natural Spanish speaker as a Uruguayan, but also he's he's a sort of diminutive playmaker, dribbler with the ball. You can see him working in in a team that you know likes to to put players behind um, a defensive line and where there's maybe slightly less physicality in that league. I, I'm not sure he would necessarily adapt to the Premier League straight away, for example. Uh, but he's a he's a good, exciting player to watch. He's a lot of fun. Can I say, firstly, it is the same player, I believe. The uh, Pozuelo okay. was the Swansea player, now plays for Toronto. The, uh, the second thing to say is, I love America, you know? The country of America, the landscapes—not so much the, you know, recent politics. But what's but your favorite part of America? My favorite part of America is Texas. That's irrelevant, Seb. The point I'm making is, uh, if you're a young player and you live in America, hey, you live in L.A., Los Angeles, right? Uh, do you really want to move to Europe, even though the football's better? I'm sure you're going to say yes, but you live in America. Isn't that what everyone's supposed to want to do? Yeah, you want the credibility of playing in Europe. I mean, whether whether that's whether you deserve credibility for doing that is neither here nor there. That's that's. Yeah, kind but of think the way about how many thinks. TV channels this guy's going to have because he lives in America. It, do you really want to go to Spain, where yeah, there are, I would say, fewer TV channels? Yeah, but Joe, advert breaks every ten minutes in America. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the the dominating the factor that when players is the are deciding going. factor and hey, also what's also, Spain's equivalent of the Dairy Queen you know I bet they don't even have one 
you know. Coffee in America. Sure, they have the bull race and they have delicious cheeses. What do you you mean the coffee in America is not good? I prefer European coffee. Well, not not European coffee, obviously, African or South American coffee. But as they have that in America as well. Yeah, um, no. The question I'm really asking is, how are these uh, environmental forces going to play on the mind of a young player from LA? Presumably not all. What, wait, are we talking about coffee now and TV channels? Or no, I, no, I've that completely was just lost fun, the point of that. This is a fun bit. What I want to know is, if you're a young player, you're doing well in MLS, you're making a name for yourself, do you really want to go to Europe? Like, Isn't there, isn't there more, nowadays more... Of a pool. I'm sure 10 years ago this was different, but the MLS is, or MLS, I should say, is, is developing into something. What I'm saying is, is there not enough reason to think that having a career in MLS, even if you are good enough to play in Europe, isn't the worst thing? Well, depends what you want from the game. I mean, if you want money, obviously Europe is the better deal. But also remember that in America, MLS, no matter how improved it is, is still nowhere close to the major sports. So are you a top tier athlete if you play MLS football? Not really. I mean, not MLS football, I understand that that doesn't really make sense, but you're not a, you know, your premium athletes are going to be NBA players, NFL players, baseball players. In England, in in Europe, in Spain, you know, in these countries, which are more traditional football places, you enjoy a, a level of status, which you just can't access as a football player in America. But what about freedom? So also available in other countries. <laughs> so the other the other really good winger this season. So there's a very good if anyone's interested. There's a very good um, website called American Soccer Analysis um, who do great things with stats, um, and they're on Twitter as well. And they they have Rossi as being basically the second most effective winger in MLS uh, last season. The most effective was a guy called Jordan Morris who is a 26-year-old who plays uh, for the Seattle Sounders, and he's currently being linked with Swansea quite heavily. So that that indicates that, you know, a player who is very, very good, if not among the sort of 10 best players in, in MLS, is still very open to moves even to a championship team. Mark McKenzie, who was the best centre-back in the league last year, uh, has just moved to Genk in Belgium very, very much a stepping stone club before you move to a, a better one because, you know, Belgium's very good for that. So so I think even your points about coffee and freedom notwithstanding, the, <laughs> the players clearly are showing that that's a move that they want to make. Can, can I say, though, you know, just think about this uh, young player trading in Seattle, the home of uh, grunge music, Nirvana, Kurt Cobain. You know, uh, for Swansea, hey, the home I tell, of, I tell you, you know, America does poet. breakfast very well. That's 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 the thing I think of a lot. Like, if you if you want breakfast, and if you were to go to go for, go for breakfast anywhere in the world, America. But they have such huge portions. <laughs> but that's it, Alex. Like, there's just. But the if you're a professional athlete, do you really want to be? Eating. Oh, I don't know. Like I'll, I'll wear a bin bag to training or something and sweat it all out. <laughs> I, 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 I just, but it's the breakfast is is excellent in America. As someone who lives in a, in a in a British city, I think the Americans make great use of space. Hmm? So all oh, those big roads and the cars. I like big things because I'm big. Tell you what, when I went to America, I saw the first Harry Potter film in an American cinema, and I sat in a seat that was the size of a boat, and I ate uh, or I had a drink out of a cup that was bigger than my head. You know. And uh, I would fit in America in a way that I don't fit here. 
so In- I like America. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is I like America. Hey, we have a lot of Americans who listen, uh, people from the United States. Hey, I don't know why I want to say to you, but I just, I'm just saying I like America. It's a cool, America's a cool place. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited for America to be a cool place again. That's, that's mainly what I'm saying. Keep, keep it out, football, you fucking mug. Keep it out. Don't mention it. <laughs> We've got time for one more player. Uh, and I am going to select... We've talked about Conrad Limer a lot before, so I'm going to ignore Conrad Limer. We had uh, a request instead, for Ryan Christie. I think we should do that. Okay, right. Instead, let's talk about Ryan Christie from Celtic. 25 years old. All porpoise forward. Not all porpoise. Sorry. I said that wrong. <laughs> he isn't a porpoise. He's a human man. All purpose forward. <laughs> Probably the only real bright spot of Celtic season so far. Alex, is he all porpoise? Um, he's... <laughs> He's more narwhal, possibly. <laughs> I think. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, uh, he's he's a, an interesting player. He's he's been. I think it's probably fair to say relatively misused by Neil Lennon, who's had him playing on the right hand side of a midfield diamond quite a lot. Um, he's a, a left footed, creative player. He can play as a right inside forward or a ten. Um, statistically, he measures up extremely well. Um, if you compare him to, to players of his profile in top European leagues, you know he gets forward a lot. He creates a lot. Um, somebody who wants a kind of all-purpose, well, as you said, all-purpose forward, but but somebody who is able to create and also get forwards and score goals. He needs. Tactical discipline, which he's not really getting from Lennon at the moment. So his shooting profile this season is really bad. Like he's taking shots from all over the place, partly because Celtic are relying on him to be the guy who makes something happen. Um, This, interestingly, uh, has kind of turned the fan base against him slightly. So he maybe would feel like a move is not the worst idea either because he's obviously not being used particularly well by Lennon, but also the fans are getting frustrated with him. Uh, I think he probably could step up to a Premier League side. Um, I think he would fit at Southampton, uh, actually. I mean, Stuart Armstrong is the incumbent in that position and, and really, really good, but I can see that working out. I could also see him at somewhere like Crystal Palace, who at the moment have Andros Townsend playing on the right-hand side, but somebody who who cuts in a lot, who's expected to shoot from that sort of angle where he's cut inside and then lets one go. Yeah. Obviously, on the left, they've got Etze at the moment, who's doing that really, really well, but the right-hand side does look considerably weaker, uh, and Christie would be an upgrade, I think, in, in that perspective, and at 25 still has a good period of time left as a porpoise. I just wanted to shout out the people who who asked for uh, Ryan Christie. We have Grant Gendo who asked, uh, Adrian Vanderboer also asked, thank you, uh, and Stuart Thompson asked for Ryan Christie. So I, I figured I'd do that because you know some of the other names, many many people have asked for, but just three people requesting uh, Ryan Christie there. So thanks to everyone who has uh, participated and contributed. There'll be one more sensible transfers episode. And then we will be out of here. And, well, I mean, we'll still be here, but we'll be doing other things. Um, you know, don't know what. Hey, Probably. we've got, we've got a, uh, an exciting guest for the next one as well. We've got a bit of David Ornstein Oh, mate, is it us. confirmed? It is indeed confirmed. David Ornstein's <laughs> going to talk to us about transfer reporting. And, uh, the life daddy as of a the transfer, transfer window. Hey? Exactly. Big, bad Ornstein. 
you know what? David Ornstein would work in America, wouldn't he? he? I could see him in America. He's got that crossover appeal. I don't know what crossover appeal means, but I've heard no, that. No, no, no. He, he would interest Hollywood if he was an English actor. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I see. Like, if, he was an, if he was a kind of English stage actor, I think his profile, uh, even even his looks, he'd interest America, David Ornstein. He's got a, a Louis Theroux quality to him. I think that's true. Yeah, yeah, but like if he grew the hair a little bit, then you know he he's could, Louis uh, Theroux the hunk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah? <laughs> watched an incredibly depressing Louis Theroux last night about insanity, and then I went to bed at two in the morning. So uh, I listened to the Oliver Stone podcast he did on my night walk last night. Yeah, my mother told me about that. She said it was very good. It was very good. Your mother is right. Yeah, I still haven't watched JFK. Oh, mate. JFK is It's just great like film. five hours long or something. And then I feel no, like I, it's, I it's, never it's feel a, like there's a time. It's a fantastic three and a half hours. It's, oh, honestly, really, this is what everybody good. says. That's yeah. a task for your weekend. And I'm surprised you've have not time. watched it because you're, qu- you're quite filmy, aren't you? Yeah. You like I am, but there's, like, there's, a, there's, a, there's a number of uh, exceptionally long films like that that I haven't watched. I mean, I only ever watched Hard to Be a God because I went to the cinema. Do you know what I'm saying? I never would have sat through that shit otherwise. Uh, but the point I'm making is that there's a, you know, there's some out there, but maybe I'll watch it. I don't know. But I also do get pestered by Sev every day to make sure I'm watching the football. So I feel like I don't have time to watch <laughs> JFK. It's almost an insult that you're suggesting that I do it this weekend, Seb. That's fair enough. But I honestly, it should be on your list. It's a, it's a fantastic film. I second that. Okay. Well, uh, thanks to you both. I uh, hope everyone else has watched JFK and, uh, you know, Dreams of America We'll be back uh, on Thursday with uh, our final Sensible Transfers episode. So if there's anybody that you're desperate uh, desperate for us to talk about, this will be your last opportunity to ask Seb to uh, include Messi. And we'll see if we do. Uh, please leave a comment on the community post or tweet one of us or, you know, uh, stand outside our houses and scream through the windows, that sort of thing. Um, and <laughs> stop, I'm sure, stop sending I'm me, sure sending me message it. requests on Facebook about Leo Messi, please. No, please, stop. please don't stop. Please don't stop. <laughs> it's honestly in the bleak, you know, midwinter, in the weeks of January when work is busy and, and there's a lockdown, like the one thing that gives me joy throughout the week is seeing people. <laughs> For asking Seb for Messi. So please don't start whatever you do. Just do it. Uh, all right, we'll be back next time. Uh, so thanks for listening and uh, th- au revoir. Bye bye. <laughs>